morning, Overlake. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. Not only did you survive Black Friday, but you survived the black ice on your way in. So congratulations. Uh, there was about six or seven seconds as I was making my way in off 124th today that I thought uh, Overlake's not going to have a preacher this morning because I was headed right towards a power line. Um, and it was crazy. I digress. Um, my name's Rory, and I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and I'm so incredibly delighted and honored that you would have us, student ministries, uh, in here kind of leading the charge on a Sunday morning. Um, it's honestly, a, a truly an honor. So that said, why don't we pray, and we'll jump right into God's Word. Uh, Jesus, Lord, thank you that your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray today that as we open your Word, and it speaks to us because it's living and active, God, that it would help us turn what we think about you, our theology, um, actually into biography, that we would walk out of these doors, change people, living, acting, loving more like you. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus, the name above all names. And everybody said, amen. amen. So there's a story that I uh, often tell at camps, and I'm going to tell it this morning, and it goes like this. When you think of courage, you, you, you tend to get a picture in your head of courageous people. Perhaps that picture is like a, a lifeguard jumping into action, or, or maybe it's like a soldier on the front lines of war. Um, but when I think of courage, I, I get a much different picture. It's a little bit strange, a little bit out there. But when I think of courage, I, I undoubtedly, unanimously, unequivocally always think of, of this picture. And it's a picture of a seventh grade boy. Now, why? Why a seventh grade boy? And my answer back to you would simply be, it's because I have been a seventh grade boy. And I, I know the perils that result from hormones pulsating through a young man's body. See, I know what it's like to wake up and discover a forest range of back knee that has grown overnight. See, I know what it's like to wake up and find hair under one armpit and not the other. True story. I know what it's like to be a young man cub who is attracted to anything with a curve. And I'm talking anything. A pear, a mannequin, the 405 in Renton, anything, anything. But perhaps more courageous than uh, making it through those adolescent pubescent changes is when the seventh grade male uh, traverses the dance floor and asks a member of the female species to dance for the very first time. See, I remember it like it was yesterday. There she was, Stacy Davis. Wow. <laughs> she was wearing a pair of Gap khakis and a navy blue polo shirt from Old Navy. And in my mind, we were totally meant to be. I mean, she was in ninth grade. I, I was a seventh grader. She was attractive. And I, I was a seventh grader. She, she was popular and I was still a seventh grader. So, so there were some obstacles to overcome. The, the biggest of those obstacles, this colossal black hole known as the dance floor that stood between me and my destiny. I had a decision to make. Would I cower in a corner with a cup of Kool-Aid or would I go across the unknown, uncharted waters of that dance floor and step in front of Stacy? Well, I am so happy to say that oh so many years ago at Kamaikan Junior High, I did make that trek across the dance floor. I don't know what propelled me, if it was the Holy Spirit or the three Red Bulls that I brought from the snack window, but whatever, whatever it was, I mustered up the courage to walk across that dance floor, stand in front of Stacy, and say these words. 
hey girl, I really dig your sauce. Unbeknownst to me, this was uh, like terms of endearment to this young fawn. This ninth grader, she actually grabbed me by the hand, led me out onto the dance floor, and for the very first time since the invention of the cougar, a ninth grader slow danced with a seventh grader. Come on, everybody. Now, what you just heard was a very, very juvenile example of what I believe to be a a pretty real life principle. And that life principle is simply this, that so often our destiny is not determined by chances, but rather by choices. Our destiny is not determined by chances, but rather by the choices that we make. And this morning, we have a choice to make. And the choice is whether or not we're going to cling to this conviction that I'm going to present to you from Scripture. I believe if you will cling to this conviction, it actually has the power to change your life. But you have a choice to make. You can cling to it or you can cast it away and we can just play church like so often we do. So let's commit to not playing church this morning. Let's hear from God. Let's cling to this conviction and let's allow it to change our lives. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to the book of Ephesians? We find this conviction in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 21. But this is, this is a, a prayer written by a guy named Paul. And he says this. It's a very famous passage of scripture. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes there's passages of scripture that when you read them, you, you feel like you just shouldn't say anything. But I'm going to because nestled into verse 20, there's this phrase, this conviction that I've been talking about. It's these words. It says, now to him who is able. Friends, if there is one thing that I would pray that you would walk away with this this morning, just, just one idea that you could walk out of the doors of this place with, I pray that it would be this truth. And it's in your notes. You can write this down. It's that our God is able. Big idea is that our God is able. Your God is able. My God is able. But able to do what? Able to do whatever needs to be done in this world and in your life. No problem can stop him. No obstacle can thwart him. No circumstance can worry him. No outcome can confuse him. Our God is able. And I know I know that so often the circumstances in which we find ourselves, the prayers that have not been answered the way that we so desperately ached that they would, they can make us doubt or question this truth. But then I remember something. 
I remember that Paul, he actually wrote these words, this prayer while he was in chains, in prison, suffering, persecuted, waiting to die. In fact, historians tell us that the living conditions in his prison cell were so bad, there was fecal matter everywhere and the stench so foul that the Roman guards needed to be changed every 30 minutes. And yet, it's in those circumstances that Paul writes these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. And it's almost like Paul is saying, I know, I know, I know what you're going to do. You're going to underestimate this God. The world is going to make you think too little of him. But let me be abundantly clear. Let me kind of hit you over the head with this truth. Our God is able. But able to do what? Well, friends, our God is actually able to do stuff. He's not just some cosmic bystander. He is active and involved in his universe. But he's bigger than that. See, our God is able to do what we ask. That's actually why we pray. He's bigger than that, though. He's able to do stuff that we imagine, the kind of stuff that we don't even think of asking about. But he's bigger than that. He's not just able to do most of what we ask or imagine. God is able to do all that we ask or imagine. And he's bigger than that. He's not just able to do all that we ask or imagine. He's able to do more than all that we ask or imagine. And he's bigger than that still. He's able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. In fact, the King James Version puts it this way. Our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all that we ask or imagine. You see, there is nothing that is logically possible and consistent with his character that our God cannot do. That is our God. He is able. And we need to camp out on this truth for just a little bit this morning because we, we swim in a world in a culture that says the real forces that move reality are political forces or economic forces or forces of scientific discovery and education. And it's easy to get swallowed up in this culture that seems to push him off, God off as some sort of cosmic bystander. But the truth is, you and I, we will never believe that our God is able if we don't actually spend some time getting to know this God. And so what I want to do for the next 10 minutes is simply spend some time in Scripture and reflect on the God that we meet in the Bible. Because the God we meet in the Bible, oh, friends, he is more than able. See, in the beginning, God is able to say, let there be light. And light happens. All the physical universe came into being because God willed it to be so. And it was no strain on him at all to do this. And it's very important that we understand that nothing in science actually disproves this. There's no study in any peer-reviewed academic journal that has proved anything other than this. In fact, science shows that everything that exists has a cause, and that surely includes the universe. The greater the universe, the greater the one who is able to create it. And our God is able to create the universe. He was able to do it with one hand tied behind his back. See, a friend of mine said that our problem is we think we have this great big universe in this little God. We think of him kind of like the character painted on the roof of the Sistine Chapel. But that's not reality. 
The reality is the Bible describes a great, big God and a tiny little universe. I love the words from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. The Lord God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's our God. And he's able. What does the Bible teach our God is able to do then? Well, he's able to interact with and suspend the laws of nature anytime he wants because he created them. And again, this is reality. This is our God. He is able to part a body of water so that people can cross over on dry land. He's able to calm a storm on the sea just by saying the words, peace be still. And he is Lord over time. So when Israel needed a longer day to win a battle, Joshua prayed and God actually extended the day. Our God is able to make a day last as long as he wants it to last. Anybody here ever need more time? Our God is able. Our God is able to make the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. He's able to make a boy named David defeat a giant named Goliath. He's able to make a drought. He's able to make a flood. He's able to make a rainbow as a reminder of his promise. And God's power is not limited to the laws of nature. See, our God is able to bring deliverance from impossible situations. Some of you are facing an impossible situation right now. And I just need you to know that our God, he is able. He's able to deliver Daniel from a lion's den. He's able to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. He's able to deliver a boy named Joseph from Pharaoh's prison, a boy named David from Saul's anger, Israel from Egyptian slavery, Esther from Haman's genocide, Elijah from Jezebel, Paul from a Philippian jail. Anybody here need deliverance? Our God is able. Kind of a church history nut. And there was a story I was reading earlier this week from the early 1900s. There's these two missionaries, John and Amanda Patton. And they were missionaries in the small set of islands in the South Pacific. And they set up a missionary station there. And one night as they were uh, kind of rounding up the evening, they heard natives coming. And, uh, and it was not a good situation. They were coming with fire. They were actually coming to burn down their missionary station and kill them. So John and Amanda, they ran into their missionary station. They got in the middle, they locked the doors and they began to pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed knowing full well that they were going to die. But as they prayed, they, they, they heard all the commotion that was just there just a few minutes before it, it began to, to die down. And they, they prayed, they actually prayed through the night. Well, fast forward a, a year, the, the mission station had not been burned down. And now the chief of that tribe who came to burn down that mission station actually came to know Jesus. And, uh, and so John, knowing how the story is gone, he goes and he talks to this chief of this tribe and said, hey, what happened? A year ago, you were gonna burn down my mission station. Like what happened that night? And the chief responded, well, who were all those men there with you surrounding the mission station? They were wearing big, shiny garments and swinging swords. Who were those people? And, and John knew exactly what had happened. God had delivered them. He had sent his angels there to protect them in their time of need. Friends, our God is able. He's able to deliver, but not just that. Our God is able to provide. He's able to give manna to feed his people every day for 40 years. He's able to bring water out of a dry rock. He's able to order ravens to bring food to a man named Elijah by a little brook. He's able to take a little boy's Lunchable and feed 5,000 people and have 12 baskets left over. And the apostle Paul, who knew what it was like to be in great need, he said, our God is able to provide. 
for your every need. There's this story of this little old lady that I love to tell. And it gets to this point that our God is able to provide for us. This little old lady, she would wake up each morning. She would head out to her front porch. She would raise her hands to the heavens and she would say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for another day. I praise you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. And she would start every single morning that way, just praising God. Well, eventually she had a neighbor move in right next to her. And uh, after a while, he started to get annoyed uh, with this woman because he was an atheist. He didn't believe there, there was a God. And yet this woman, every single morning, just comes out praising Jesus. Eventually, he got so annoyed that he just yelled back after her every single day, there is no God. I, I don't know who does that to a little old lady, but apparently this guy. And... Uh, and so one morning in the dead of winter, something's a little bit different. This lady, she comes out, she does her normal routine. Praise you, God. I love you, God. Thank you, God. But God, I am in need. I have no food and I'm hungry. Oh, Lord, will you please provide? Well, the atheist heard this and he thought up an idea and he thought it up quick. He said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to prove to this woman that there is no God. I'm going to go to the grocery store myself. I'm going to buy some groceries. And then before she wakes up the next morning, I'm going to put the groceries on her front doorstep. So when she comes out, she'll see the groceries and I'll yell at her that I bought the groceries and that there is no God. Well, sure enough, that's what happens. Here comes a little old lady. She opens the door. She sees the groceries and she praises God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for providing for me. And right as she does that, out of the hedges jumps the neighbor and he goes, ha, ha. There is no God. I bought those groceries. Well, the little old lady then rose her hands to the heavens again. And she said, oh, praise you, God. Thank you for providing for me. And then she turned around. She pointed to her neighbor and she said, and thank you, Lord, for making the devil pay for them. <laughs> Friends, our God is able to provide but not only that, our God is able to change the hearts of men and women. He's able to harden or able to soften the hard heart of Pharaoh to let his people go. He's able to strengthen the frightened heart of a man named Gideon to defeat his people. He's able to take a genocidal zealot named Saul and turn him into a self-sacrificing missionary named Paul. He's able to take an impulsive denier named Simon and turn him into a rock-solid leader named Peter. That is our God. Not only that, he's able to forgive sin. Now just think about this for a moment. Think of what it means to stand guilty before a righteous God. I mean, it's just the guilt sometimes when I think about what I've done in my past, it gets stirred up within me. But then God, our God, he is able in Jesus to become human and, and to staple himself to a cross and purchase our pardon and cleanse our guilt and free us from the penalty of the law. And only God can do this. You see, we and I, we, we can forgive each other for things that we do to one another, but nobody can cleanse me from my guilt but God. And if you've never asked him to do this, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to cleanse you from all the times you've missed the mark, don't let today pass without just simply saying yes to Jesus, recognizing that he came, he stepped across the cosmos for you. He suffered on a cross, dying in your place for your sins. His blood was shed to cover all of your wrongdoing. And if you will simply trust in him, say yes to Jesus, he will meet you right here. 
and he will save you. That's our God. Our God is able. But not only does God have all of this power, not only is our God able to do all of this in the Bible, none of this power has diminished. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power does not diminish. His strength does not abate. He is able to take a woman who has been trapped by alcohol for decades and give her sobriety. I've seen this happen. He's able to take a marriage that's been devastated by betrayal and hurt and hatred and put it back together. I've seen this happen. He's able to take a man who's been undone by scandal and sin and make him a new creation. I have seen this happen. He's able to come alongside a family that has been devastated by the news of a terminal illness so they can now face the future with the truth and hope that death does not get the last word. Friends, I have seen this happen. He is able to heal brokenness. He is able to reconcile relationships. He is able to give wisdom. He is able to provide meaning. He is able to breathe hope. He is able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and promise resurrection to the sick, sorry, dark, and dying world. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Friends, our God is able. And because our God is able, we are now free to change the way that we live. In fact, when we gather together here on Sundays, we gather together to fellowship, we gather to, together to, to sing, but I think one of the chief reasons we gather together is in order that we would actually change. That when we open God's word, it would speak to each of us as an individual and then collectively, and we would change. We would be refined by God's word and we would walk out of here changed people. So what I wanna do right now is just give you three tangible takeaways. Again, there's a lot of takeaways from a message like this, but just three things that I've been kind of noodling on this past week. And so if you want to, just write these down. The first one is, because our God is able, we can, and here's the first point. Because our God is able, we can walk with Godfidence. Sounds a little cheesy, I understand, but we can walk with Godfidence. What is Godfidence. Godfidence is simply the confidence to become everything that Christ has created you to be. Again, it's the confidence to become everything that Christ has created you to be. But the problem is we so often forget this. We forget who we are. And so what do we need to do? When we forget who we are, oftentimes the insecurities creep in. And when the insecurities creep in, this downward spiral starts to happen. And actually our faith journey, it becomes paralyzed. But God wants to remind us who we are. And so what do we need to do? Well, we actually need to remind ourselves that we are our own best preachers. And one of the ways that we can combat this, one of the ways that we can walk with confidence is to actually preach to ourselves, declare God's word over our lives. We need to preach to ourselves the truth from 1 Corinthians 15, 57, that we are victors, not victims. We need to remind ourselves on a daily basis that we are the head and not the tail, says Deuteronomy 28, 13. Ephesians 2, 10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he planned before, before us. We need to remind ourselves of 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is, in the, the, he that is in me than he who is in the world. We need to remind ourselves of Philippians 4, 13, that we can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens us. And we need to remind ourselves of 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that we may be weak, but isn't it good to know that in our weakness, he is made strong. And what I found is as we begin to declare these truths, as we begin to change the declaration of our lips, we also then change the direction of our life. When we change the declaration of our lips, we start speaking God's word over our lives. We start reminding ourselves who we are. We start walking with confidence. We also at the same time change the direction of our lives. And so that's the first point. The first challenge is because God is able, we can walk with confidence and we can speak God's word over our lives and start living it. That was point number one. Point number two, because our God is able, we can stop insulting God with our small vision. Because our God is able, we can stop insulting God with our small vision. Friends, we've been talking about a big God all morning. This is the same God who became a waterbender and turned water into wine. This is the same God who turned white caps into a red carpet. This is the same God who taught a dead man in Lazarus how to dougie. This is the same God who turned his own tomb into a waiting room. This is a big and powerful God who is able. And when we read about these miracles, we need to remember that these miracles do not reveal what God did past tense. They reveal what God wants to do for you in the present tense. There's this crazy verse in John 14, verse 20. And it says this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. So what did Jesus do? I mean, he's just out healing the blind, healing the lame, the leper, like raising himself from the dead, raising Lazarus from the dead. And yet when I walk around, when I go to Totem Lake and Woodenville and Red Mill, I don't see a lot of people being raised from the dead. I don't see a blind man like seeing stuff. And I wonder if it's because his people aren't walking with confidence and they're not walking with vision, believing that they are filled with the spirit and they can actually do greater works than even Christ did while he was walking this planet. Friends, our God is able. A mentor of mine recently told me this, and I just want us to like think about this because last week when Shane was up here, he challenged us to imagine He asked him some questions. The questions were, what should be? What could be? Like, as as followers of Christ, what should be? What could be? How could we bring heaven here on earth? And, And I think sometimes we need to, like, expand our vision a little bit. Think a little bit bigger. Like, God might want to actually do more. And so my mentor told me these words, and maybe they'll resound with you. If the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance it's insulting to God. If the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance it's insulting to God. Friends, what I found in this life in small ways is that if we have the audacity to ask God, he has the ability to perform. A couple years ago, we did this uh, little retreat. There's about 180 students, a nice retreat, wonderful retreat. We did it in Leavenworth. But, uh, but something was stirring within us. We, we kind of believed as a staff that God wanted to do more. And so we started praying about Leavenworth. We started praying about this retreat where students would come and there would be a place where they could meet Jesus and get plugged into life-altering community. 
And as we have prayed, God has just multiplied this ministry. It's really moved from this little retreat into this major move of God. Uh, Four years ago, 180 students. Last year, 650 people joined us. This year, we're believing for 800 to 1,000 people to join us. And these are students. People say say that Jesus is not on the move in this generation. Lie, lie from the pit of hell. God is at work and he is moving. And and I would just implore you, would you pray with us? Because God is on the move. And what's so cool is as we prayed as a staff, as we believed as as students and as a ministry, God has just performed time and time and time again. Again, if we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. This leads us to point number three. Because our God is able we can stop putting a period where God has put a comma. Stop putting a period where God has put a comma. In other words, if you're not dead, God is not done with you. Um, This has never been more real for me than just these last two months. as many of you know, uh, six weeks ago, my wife gave birth to two beautiful twin daughters. So now there they are, Brooklyn and Mila. And, uh, and we are now a family of four children. Um, someone asked me recently, Rory, what is it like to have four children? And I, I responded this way. Well, just imagine you're drowning and then um, someone hands you kids. Like that's, that's kind of what it's like. It's, it's crazy. Um, but as we were welcoming new life into our family, our family was also grieving because we were watching my grandfather um, at the end of his life, uh, just a, a few weeks before the girls were born. And he's so excited to, to meet the girls, like just elated. He had been having some uh, issues with his hip, pain in his hip. It actually caused him to not be able to walk. He was kind of laying on the couch. Eventually, my parents, who he was living with, they, they took him to the doctor. And when they went to the doctor, um, they did an MRI. And sure enough, there was a softball-sized tumor on his back. And being 91, um, there wasn't a lot that they could do for him at that, at that point. And so um, it's, it's a really hard situation to be in because I love my grandfather. My grandfather was a great man. Uh, really involved in our lives. Um, he would pick us up from school and take us to the driving range and we'd hit golf balls and then we'd go over to the Woodenville Dairy Queen and we'd get, get Reese's Pieces blizzards and he would just love to treat us. And then when I was in high school, he would come to our games and bought me my letter jacket. And, and when he was a young man, served in World War II, just this great guy, just an awesome guy. And now to watch him be at the end of his life and day by day just kind of deteriora- deteriorating, it, it was breaking us. But not only this, um, this awesome man, um, he didn't know Jesus. And it broke my heart because whenever my mom or or I would bring up some sort of spiritual conversation, we would talk about Jesus. We would even ask to pray with him. He'd just kind of say, no, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm good. And it broke my heart. In fact, uh, about six weeks ago, a little over six weeks ago, um, I was uh, preaching at our young adult service on Sunday nights. And I let them know about Grandpa Ray. And I just asked the, the community there, hey, would you guys just pray? We just pray for my grandpa because I, I kind of believe there are eternal implications with this thing. And, and I want to see my grandpa again. And so what was so cool is the community just gathered around, all of them, the 150 of them, they just gathered around and they prayed for my grandpa. 
Well, a week later, um, our girls are born, and Grandpa had been on a downward, downward, downward slope, like not really cognizant the whole week, but was so cool is um, the girls are born. We, they're born on a Friday. We leave the hospital on a Sunday, and we make a beeline just right for my parents' house, and we are able to show Grandpa his uh, new great-granddaughters, and here's a picture of that. Now, here's what's so cool, guys. He'd been out of it for like a week, like not responsive at all, but he saw those girls and he like woke up, moment of clarity, like grabs their little feet, go, oh, so pretty, so pretty. It's like the coolest, coolest moment. Well, after that moment, um, he started to kind of like act a little bit strange. And he was talking to my mom, just little bits when he had moments of clarity. And he was just talking about going home, going home, going home. And my mom was kind of present. What are you talking about? Like going home and kind of like just, she couldn't really understand it. Well, a few days passed since that visitation, and in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m., my mom hears my grandpa just kind of like moaning, making noises, so she runs out there thinking he's uncomfortable or whatever, and then he has another moment of clarity. And my mom, in that moment, she begins to talk with my grandpa, 91 years of age, about Jesus. Says, Grandpa, you know, I know we've tried to talk about this before. It hasn't really led anywhere, but can we just talk about this again? Like, do you know if, if you would die today, you know that you're going to go be with Jesus? And they really pressed into that conversation. And at 91 years of age, on his deathbed, my grandpa put his faith in Jesus Christ and trusted him. See, don't put a period where God's put a comma. If you're not dead, God is not done with you. And the crazy thing is there are people much younger who walked into this building this morning your teens, your 20-somethings, 30s, your, your parents, your grandparents, but you are much younger than 91, and you have put a period on your life. You think it's over, and I'm here to tell you, no, 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 no. If you are not dead, God is not done with you. Don't put a period where God has simply put a comma. The best days are simply ahead of you. That's, our, that's what we believe as Christ followers. So friends, We serve this amazing God who is able. He's able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. And because our God is able, what can we do? We can walk with confidence. We don't have to insult him with small vision because God says himself that we will do greater things than even he did. And definitely do not put a period where God has put a comma. The best days are ahead of us as Christ followers. We always believe that. So let me finish by praying the words of Paul. Would you bow your heads with me? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever.